Welcome to a dialogue on accountability in the digital age. A dialogue with representatives of a global multi-stakeholder community. And I'm your host, Fritz Bussemaker, and today I'm delighted and privileged to have a conversation with Irakli Baritza. Irakli, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, uh, Fritz, and it's an honor to be with you, and uh, it's a pleasure to have a conversation. Allow me to introduce you to the audience. Uh, you are the head of the Center for Artificial Intelligence and Robotics uh, of the United Nations Unicri um, organization. We'll cover that uh, later in our talk. You are also a, a global artificial intelligence council member of the World Economic Forum, a high level expert group on artificial intelligence European Commission and a committee member of IEEE's global initiative on ethics uh, of autonomous and Italian systems. Before this, you worked at the OPCW, the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons, and you are a native of Georgia. Did I miss anything? Well, there are a number of things in between and there missed, but, uh, but uh, in now, general, thanks a lot, and I'm uh, happy to, <laughs> to be with you, Fritz. Okay. Hey, uh, first of all, UNICRI, what, what does UNICRI stand for? Well, UNICRI uh, is an organization which is set up uh, quite a long time ago, uh, starting from 60s, and it is helping and assisting uh, United Nations member states in their quest aimed at crime prevention, criminal justice, rule of law, human rights. It was originally set up to fight organized crime, and then the organization has become bigger and it sort of contributes to finding solutions for all sorts of crime areas. So we are working in that domain. And uh, the, the center which we set up in The Hague is dedicated to bring in the artificial intelligence and related uh, new and uh, emerging technologies into the domain to see how we can actually bring those solutions to help countries to fight crime. Okay. Now, what triggered uh, Unicre to set up your specific unit? Well, uh, look, uh, starting from, uh, let's say, 2014, 2013, 14, 15, artificial intelligence became a much larger sort of a, a driving force mm -hmm. than it was before. Not that it did not exist before. Obviously, artificial intelligence as a, as a term, as an academic research field has been there since the 50s. But the, from that point, when I'm talking about 14, 15, that when it sort of started to enter the mainstream. It was still early times. And uh, we initiated one of those first discussions at the United Nations level on how AI as such can bring benefits and how we can avoid the problems, how we can minimize the risks associated to it. So in 2015, for example, I've organized a first uh, uh, meeting at the level of UN General Assembly on artificial intelligence. We had some uh, prominent thinkers on AI present there conversing with UN member states on the risks and benefits of artificial intelligence. And I had an honor to chair and coordinate uh, uh, and, and moderate that event. Okay. Now, what are the, the issues uh, you discussed then? And are they the same as you're discussing now? Or has the, the topic 
changed over time? Topic has changed over time. It has become much more refined. So while mm -hmm. we were speaking more in general terms about the risks and benefits, and some of those risks still remain as bigger risks, we have sort of went to down to the more uh, sectoral and molecular level. When right now we are discussing details of the problems in much more sort of refined way than we were discussing before, if you if you see what I mean. Yeah. When even discussions related to ethics, discussions related to the human rights vis-a-vis -vis artificial intelligence has become much more sophisticated, much more refined today than it was before. At that meeting, a lot was dedicated to the existential risks, a lot was dedicated to the larger problems of existential nature. While those problems still remain, today we're discussing how, for example, police can arti use artificial intelligence and how they should do it in a human rights compliant manner. And not only we are discussing it, we are actually doing a lot about it. We are actually creating tools to support law enforcement to use this in a ethical human rights compliant manner. While that type of discussions back in 2014, 15 did not exist because police largely was not using any AI tools back then. Okay. Um, oh, by the way, before I go into those tools developed, uh, those fears you talked about, would you qualify them as rational or irrational fears? Oh, all those fears are absolutely rational. I think that anything which is uh, being discussed, most of the discussions taking place on artificial intelligence, I find it absolutely rational. The difference is that some of this, some of this threat may not be of immediate nature, but those threats are still there, even including existential threats of creating super intelligence machines yeah. is still there. Although I don't think that we have, we are facing this in an immediate future. This is not that we are going to create super intelligence machines next year or later this year, who, are, who is going to take over the world. But at one point, theoretically, this is absolutely possible. So the existence of this, these discussions are absolutely rational. Okay, uh, now I got that because uh, I've noticed when I prepared this uh, interview, uh, I see you come across a lot on the internet explaining, uh, creating awareness what the issues are. Uh, and where do you feel we are today? Uh, is there enough awareness uh, that this is something we need to take serious? Or are you still in uh, awareness mode? We need to educate the world. Uh, Huh. I think that um, this is sort of a several parallel processes happening. Although right now, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people, including general public, is aware of the threats or is aware what artificial intelligence is. The percentage of the penetration of that knowledge is still not sufficient, and distribution across the globe is also not sufficient. Give you an example, uh, only 60 countries in the world, around 60 countries have adopted their strategies, national strategies of artificial intelligence. 
which uh, leaves around 130 countries without any kind of strategies. Yeah. And those strategies are not just like action points. Those strategies are documents which gives the directions of the attention countries would like to pay on certain domains related to artificial intelligence. And that also kind of uh, creates a larger problem of the this digital global divide which is happening and the dangers associated to that. Okay. Um, Want to come back to a remark you made about tools being developed. Uh, can you give us a couple of examples of the, the tools which are developed um, managing artificial intelligence or artificial intelligent tools? Because um, it, it can work both ways. So at the moment, there are many, many AI tools which are uh, developed and being used uh, in public sector, in private sector, uh, while, <coughs> and <coughs> while the sort of penetration of that has happened really in an exponential way, yeah. uh, when in 2014 and 15, there were only a handful of maybe examples, if any, uh, which would qualify to AI tools. Today, we have thousands or, or, or tens of thousands of such examples. But let's look at the domain of, for example, policing, right? One of the vivid and, uh, and the probably most controversial tools which is being used is the face recognition technology. And why is this controversial, right? And, uh, and uh, for the audience who is very well versed in this, no need to explain, but let's just sort of uh, pinpoint why it is. Uh, as an example, if an innocent man or a woman would be identified wrongly by police using face recognition technology and put in detention, even for a briefly, it causes an enormous distress and machines can make mistakes. And those are the things which really creates a very problematic sort of uh, angle to the use of it. Then we're talking about the data which um, in many cases have been biased uh, and we have seen those biased data being used by governments or law enforcement agencies in different parts where uh, certain racial groups could be discriminated or certain ethnic groups could be discriminated or certain genders could be discriminated and so on and so forth, which creates a very, very problematic use case for these technologies. At the same time, the technology itself is very useful. You can solve crimes relatively quicker if you do deploy face recognition technology. We, we just had recently a case uh, in, uh, in one of the countries where a, a crime case was solved very quickly by using face recognition technology. A, a uh, perpetrator was identified and detained before committing other crimes. While we also had a case where an innocent person was detained, including for a couple of days because of the use of face recognition technology and a lot of distress was caused. Okay, now I understand facial recognition is a good example which explains what the role of uh, your organization is. Um, just to be, be clear, um, are you then as Unicree, uh, uh, just creating the awareness, we could have this bias in a system. Are you advocating then uh, things like transparency? We need to know how it works. Or um, can you go beyond um, that discussion? 
Yeah. So uh, what we are doing, uh, Fritz, is that <clears throat> I mean the advocating and the awareness raising is a small portion of our work, which also is there, and we are definitely going to continue this. But what we are doing is that we are contributing in real policy developments, in real policy making. Uh, for example, on the side of the face recognition technology, we partnered up with World Economic Forum and Interpol, and we created a specialized process of responsible limits of the use of face recognition. We issued a white paper and set up a, a special process where now five pilot countries are going through the testing phase of using the methodology which we developed. Got it. for them to use face recognition technology in a responsible human rights compliant manner and this is happening actually right now as we speak those testing uh, countries and pilot countries at the same time we also have another process happening together with interpol and uh, you with support of the european commission of development of a specialized toolkit for the responsible use of artificial intelligence in law enforcement in general and this is a, a specialized guidebook of compilation of tools for the law enforcement to use this technology in a responsible human rights compliant manner this will be launched uh, later this year and we'll we'll start piloting in the countries so what we are doing at the unique center for AI and robotics is apart from advocacy we actually developing real policy uh, guidelines and real, real policy uh, uh, books, as well as creating real tools as well. And I can tell you about it. What are the type of tools we are working on? Uh, OK, yeah, well, uh, definitely interested also uh, to know about that. Um, before I go that, I have one other question related to this. Who do you see as your audience, your main audience? So our main audience is, uh, I mean, we, we're working in a sort of a multi-stakeholder uh, manner and, uh, and we are working with different uh, stakeholders on audiences. Of course, the target audience on the number of those uh, policy tools we are developing are the law enforcement agencies, police organizations globally. So we servicing 193 UN member states. Uh, and within that, uh, law enforcement is the main sort of recipient of the tools or, or policy recommendations and guidance which we are creating. Uh, on the other side, we are also working with the private sector. We are also working with academia and also working with other government uh, mm -hmm. offices and, uh, and entities as well, and larger family of the United Nations, where we participate in numerous uh, initiatives and undertakings of other organizations like, for example, ITU's AI for Good Summits and many other initiatives we met together as well. Yes. Okay. Uh, now, you just mentioned you're looking at the ethical side, making certain that um, uh, technology has that uh, uh, ethical, I would say, uh, uh, restriction. Uh, to what extent also accountability discussion when using AI? Yeah. Accountability is one of those uh, principles or requirements which we always talk about it, among with uh, fairness, robustness, explainability. Uh, uh, people need to understand that using artificial intelligence systems 
will have a certain level of accountability. And those processes need to be set up in a proper, clear, and understandable way. So that this is a very powerful technology which potentially can bring a lot of benefits, but potentially can create a lot of problems as well. So it has a lot of risks inherited to it. And the accountability is one of those possible requirements which should be embedded in any processes from the design to the deployment to the sort of uh, all si cycle of implementation. Okay, now I remember in the beginning you said, well, the main technology we're looking at is artificial intelligence, but also other new technologies. Uh, so what other technologies do you also now take on board uh, to review and control? So what we are looking at is that at the, at the center, at the center is not only sort of uh, AI is a, is a bigger uh, domain, obviously, and we are uh, focusing on that, but we're also looking at how other new and emerging technologies can uh, can have a role or can be sort of affiliated with the type of uh, initiatives which we are doing. Uh, let's say right now, uh, we're looking quite a lot on the domain of blockchain. We're also looking at uh, how terms like metaverse will come into place. Uh, and I've organized uh, two, three sessions already last year and we all at this year, and we're looking at a couple of interesting projects related to the metaverse. More we will go into those virtual worlds yeah. and more people will participate, more understanding, definition of the problems and solutions of the problems would be required. Because at the moment, this looks like a kind of a wild west where people are going, participating, but we don't clearly understand fully the risks and we don't clearly understand how to uh, come up with the solutions and what steps we, we need to make to govern those virtual worlds, which at one point can become an important parcel of our existence. Yeah, no, uh, uh, I, see, uh, I see that as well. And that brings me uh, the, the question, um, if we don't understand it enough, uh, that has uh, an impact on uh, say policy we can develop and rules and regulations uh, because of that. Uh, digital technology is still going to be developed at the same fast space. So how do you then, because um, th that creates an, uh, a gap, an accountability gap. Um, do you still believe uh, policy development is the way to go, or do you also see other additional solutions how we can mitigate uh, that accountability risk? Look, I've never uh, sort of uh, advocated in stifling innovations. I mean, you cannot stifle innovation. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and this is not something what we, we need and we all agree to that. Innovation brings in a lot of benefits to humanity and this is the way we have been progressing. At the same time, we need to be really careful when we create something new so that along the way, we're not going to hurt people. We're not going to hurt large amount of people and, uh, and, uh, and, and the goal of Creating technology should be to serve us rather than mm -hmm. us being used by it or by someone else. Therefore, um, 
this is a complex and complicated process, obviously, and uh, we will have some hinders al along the way. That's why we had scandals like Cambridge Analytica and others related to data when at that particular time, there was not enough governance included. And the initiatives like the GDPRs, European uh, AI Acts and other things are certainly pioneering initiatives for now, but are creating those foundations, which is going to help us govern this domain, ensuring the technology is there to find solutions for us rather than create problems for us. Okay, so I'm here, uh, am I hearing you being optimistic that uh, we, we will get there? We will uh, find a balance between fast developing technology and a system to help govern that uh, technology? We have no other choice to find this kind of balance. And we have no other choice to work very hard to come up with that type of solutions. Because the other way would be is that we just let it go, which we cannot do it. Therefore, we have to come up with these solutions. We need to work extra hard, extra vigilant. We need to learn from the mistakes which was made in the, in the past and apply that in the future to make sure that uh, our solutions are also robust, our solutions are also explainable and applicable globally. Okay, got that. Uh, Irakli, last couple of questions. Um, where would you put your effort? Ooh, um, I think that there is a lot of work to be done. Uh, innovation is happening on a daily basis. We see new tools coming up. We see new domain, domains are uh, <clears throat> progressing. Like I've mentioned metaverse, but I will mention also the web 3.0, this whole new generation of the internet, which we are evolving into. This is the type of an internet which, which we have not experienced before. So all of that type of interactions will be very different. You probably remember Fritz when you first time used internet, right? It was maybe 20 something years ago, like- 20, 30 now. years ago, yeah, yeah. Long time ago, yeah. And and first interaction with internet was just a sort of a flat interaction when you were just receiving information and that's it. Today's internet and the usage of it is completely different than it was 20 years ago when we are all participants commenting straight away sharing on social media and everything is happening instantly and we are creating... Uh, data we are creating uh, content and all of this and we're already involved in the life and the next generation so so-called the web 3 is going to be a total different than what we have now and it's going to be an amazing experience but at the same time that amazing experience also requires us to take steps that our children ourselves are there in a safer environment in a safe environment that nobody gets hurt uh, would you then also assume that the that those digital natives who've grown up with the internet, um, that those will be will be equipped with that background to help govern the technology? Uh, are, so are, are we in a phase where we're moving from? You could say we've we've grown up we've we were born in an analog age. Correct. Uh, so maybe our generation uh, for for us it's quite difficult to understand. Uh, how we could govern this stuff, but can we be optimistic enough that we will solve this at the end, as you mentioned? 
I, well, I hope so. And, and I'm personally very optimistic about the future in general. And uh, while the world is experiencing numerous problems currently, and the world has experienced numerous problems uh, along the sort of development of our civilization, we still came a very long way. The type of discussions what we are having right now, it's still way better or way more uh, sophisticated and way more advanced than we had it even 20, 30, 50, 100 years ago. So overall trajectory is very positive. Overall, what I see is that we are learning, we are developing and we are becoming better at what we are doing and much more responsible for what we are doing. It doesn't mean that we need to be relaxed and uh, kind of let it go of it. But I do believe that the generations to come who are native, uh, digital natives and who will become participants of the web three and the next generations of webs will develop those uh, relationships and governance structures which will make their lives uh, and people around them their lives much safer and much more pleasant and enjoyable to be in those parallel worlds which will be existing in yeah Great. So optimistic for the future, wait for that next generation, maybe. Um, well, I'm going to end with one last question. How does a community like the, uh, our Institute for Accountability uh, help? How could it help you? Uh, well, first of all, uh, my compliments to your work and to your uh, tireless efforts, which you've been uh, putting in globally uh, for so many years and, uh, and uh, inputs which we are providing to those uh, global developments, which we are also part of it. Um, you, you know how to do it, Fritz. You always stay on top of the issues. You always innovate. You also begin the latest of the understandings from different policy uh, makers and different stakeholders and participating, debating, discussing, and coming up with uh, um, recommendation solutions is the way you've been always doing it. I'm sure that we'll be cooperating in the future a lot. Oh, I'm certain, Irakli, that there's a long and bright future for your organization, for our organization. So we will be in, uh, in contact. Uh, thank you for sharing your insights and what you're doing within Unicree. And uh, good to hear that you're optimistic about the future. So thank you for your thoughts. Thank you, Fritz. And it was a pleasure to be with you.